When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Today's show in the program, Dr. Ann Finnegan on potential risks of selling carbon credits in the voluntary market. The ICUSA president reviews some current issues affecting his members. And Mr. William Birchall, Chagas, looks at the grass situation. IFA President Tim Collins said the farmer community would be greatly saddened to hear of the death of the IFA's former chief economist, Mr. Con Lucy. Con Lucy served as the association's chief economist for 34 years. He retired in 2008. The IFA president said that on behalf of all in the IFA, he wanted to extend their sympathies to his family. Connie said had left a huge legacy and the family should be very proud of what he had achieved. The IFA president recalled that Con Lucy had made an outstanding contribution to the shaping of agricultural policy and the development of Irish farming over three decades. He did this at a crucial time for the sector as we had just joined the EC as it was then. Mr Cullinan said Con Lucy's record of service to the association spanned the terms of ten IFA presidents. ICSA President Mr Dermot Keller said Ireland's CAP programme, signed off in recent days by the European Union, was no longer fit for purpose in the context of rapidly escalating costs. Mr Keller said, as things stood, this CAP programme was no longer fit to deal with food security, nor was it fit to provide income security for food producers. Commenting on the visit by the Minister of Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, to Japan and Singapore in recent days, the IFA Livestock Chairman, Mr Brendan Golden, said it's important for beef farmers that the Minister and Borbia would build on key high-value markets for Irish beef. Mr Golden said growing market share for beef and regaining access to the Chinese market would be important steps in maximising the returns to farmers. Environmental Innovators, the brand new AgriAware Transition Year programme for students, aims to generate an awareness of the many challenges facing our global food system. AgriAware say the students who take part in the programme are tasked with proposing sustainable food solutions for the future. AgriAware is launching the Environmental Innovators Nationwide, supported by BioOrbic Bioeconomy. SFI Research Centre. Senator Tim Lombard has warned that dairy farmers would be grossly affected by a proposed energy tariff at peak electricity consumption times. He pointed out, however, that the hours of 5pm to 7pm 
were peak times for dairy farmers. 5pm to 7pm coincided with milking time on most dairy farms. A warning there from Senator Tim Lombard. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr William Birchall, Chagask and Dairy Gold Joint Programme Facilitator based at Chagask Moor Park near Fomoy and Cardiff Cork. First of all, William, welcome to the programme. Hi, John. My colleagues down in Chagas Cork West, you know, they do have an available part-time green cert course, which we, we will be worth considering. And for more details, they can contact um, the local Chagas offices in West Cork on 026-41604. Also here in Cork East, um, our Chagas advisor down in Middleton, Kira O'Donovan, is currently looking to recruit women to be involved in, you know, an, in a new um, female-only discussion group. And this can be females who are, are women who want to get involved in discussion groups from any different enterprise, you know, be it beef, tillage, sheep, or daring. So if they want to register their interest in this, you know, we can encourage them to contact their local Chagas office and to arrange a call back on this. First of all, what's the current grass situation on farms? The current grass situation on farms, John, is very variable across the region. It really does depend on, you know, how much rain individual areas have got. You know, if we look at, you know, pasture-based figures, you know, for the country, looking at, you know, what amount of grass is there, on average, there's around 602 kilos of grass dry matter as an average farm cover. And I suppose this would be kind of behind target for this time of the year. Ideally, we'd like this to be up at 750 to 1,000. So it kind of does put in perspective that there isn't as much grass on farms as what we'd like for this time of the year. We're, we're into a time of the year where you know, we want to be building up grass for the autumn to you know, allow us to extend out the grazing into the autumn you know, it helps us to keep costs low on farms. You know, the growth rate that we've been getting down in County Cork now for last week was 32 kilos of dry matter per hectare. And I suppose, you know, the long-term average would be almost twice that, at somewhere between 55 and 60. So that this is putting pressure on farms in terms of availability for grass. Look, and a lot of this obviously has been driven by, you know, the lack of rainfall. You know, before coming on the programme, I just looked up the rainfall for for Cork Airport and for Sharkin Island as well, you know, we two two stations representative of the region. And the rainfall is back 11 to 12 inches of rain um, compared to this time last year. So, you know, because of this, you know, um, this high soil moisture deficit, which really has restricted growth in most farms. From this, I suppose we have gone through periods of very dry weather back in 2018, but... Maybe just for our farmer listeners to be aware that you know, 18 was quite different to the current year in that you know, we did get a lot of rain in late July, early August in, in 2018. And like, as a result, then growth rates recovered earlier and it allowed us to build up grass for the autumn. I thought maybe some of our, our farmers are thinking that you know, hopefully now and that this rain will come and it will help grass growth to recover. And I think it will, but maybe we cannot be maybe relying on getting an actual excessive burst of extra growth after this rain. You know, in 2018, when the rain came, we did get growth to recover, but it just recovered to normal normal levels. It didn't actually give us an extra huge extra excessive 
uh, excessive surplus bursts of growth back. So I suppose really what we're kind of be saying to our farm clients is that you know they do need to assess where they are now, and maybe not just relying on the rain to give us an excessive burst of growth. They must act now, John. Really, what should farmers do to react to what we now perceive as a current low grass growth situation? I suppose, John, if farmers are behind or well behind target, and they are in a lot of cases. Uh, for the amount of grass they want to have on the farm for this time of the year. So what we would suggest is that farmers would kind of set up a 30-day rotation, grazing rotation on their farm. And essentially what we mean here is that if a farm has, say, 30 hectares of land, that those farmers then would graze one hectare of ground per day, which is essentially setting them at a 30-day rotation. And if we look at this, then, you know, what that essentially will do for people is that it will kind of set up the last two kind of grazing rotations for the year at least. And, you know, if they have 30 days now for September, so they'll have one 30 day rotation which will carry them out for the whole month of September and another one then for the whole month of October, it will kind of help them to at least keep grass in the diet until the 1st of November. I suppose this, if they set that up then, and I suppose, so depending on how much grass is in that, in that, that hectare of ground a day, if they do need to fill the gap in terms of, you know, if there's not enough grass in that area of ground, you need to put in ration or put in sodage to fill it. I say maybe even some more extreme cases, this is happening across the region as well, is that, you know, some people are going back to this kind of six, six and six rule. And really what that entails is that, you know, maybe for cows, milking cows, they might be on six kilos of meal, six kilos of silage, and six kilos of grass. But when this type of a diet is implemented, it really does help to reduce down the demand for grass. And it kind of helps to keep grass in the diet of the cows for a longer period of time. And when the rain comes, it will help in terms of allowing farmers to be able to build a level of grass for the autumn. It will be very challenging for farms with, with, with very little grass at the moment to build up covers for the autumn to their normal levels. But I still think that farmers need to take a, a real effort to try and at least build some amount of grass for the autumn. So that's one thing that they can do. And other things maybe that farmers could look at maybe this time of the year. We're getting into September now. And it's usually a time of the year where people would scan, scan the herd and assess, you know, what cows are in calf and maybe what cows are empty. So, you know, in line with this, you know, it was probably a good time of the year to look at, you know, is there any surplus stock in the farm that could be moved? Um, is there cold cows? And again, maybe some scanning results, is there any cows that are not in calf? Um, also as well, you know, what people can do, maybe to free up a bit more ground and a bit more grass for their main, maybe see their main milking herd would be to be able to move some of their replacement stock or their calves away from the milking milking platform and put them out onto silage blocks, maybe that have been cut, and maybe there might be a bit of grass coming back there. And also as well what some people are doing is looking at, you know, if if they have ground that is outside of their normal grazing ground for the cows, they might bring in a bit of zero graze grass. So anything really that can help to reduce down the demand for grass or else they do, you know, boost up the supply of grass, you know, for the for the milking heart.
Now, when we talk about fertilizer and fertilizer application, it's become a bit more flexible. When we say fertilizer, we could, in fact, be referring to slurry in the new situation where people are being so careful economically. But with a bit of rain in the forecast, as you were saying there earlier, so with rain in the forecast, how should fertilizer applications be managed, William? Well, I suppose in in some cases, John, you know, some people have stopped applying fertilizer because the growth has been so low. And in fairness, the farmers did make the right decision on this, where where growth really stopped, where grass really stopped growing. And I suppose it's one thing I suppose for farmers to think about that is that, and what they must remember is that you know, really, like it's obviously the lack of rain, the lack of water that was really limiting growth, as opposed to a lack of in nitrogen fertilizer. I suppose as well what farmers need to need to be aware of. So some people have stopped applying fertil stopped applying fertilizer for a period of maybe a couple of weeks. Other farmers continue spreading fertilizer. I suppose for those farms they do need to realise that there was a very kind of poor uptake of the fertilizer in the last three weeks because the grass just wasn't growing and taking it up. And a lot of the fertilizer that was applied in the last three weeks a lot of that is still in the ground and it will be available for grass growth when the rain comes. And also as well that they need to be aware of is that, you know, when that rain does come, you know, the rain will help to actually release some soil nitrogen from from the from the ground as well. So there will be there is a, an amount of fertilizer in the ground already. There will be some released from the soil. So I suppose what well, with that in mind, you know, we would encourage farmers maybe to, that they do need to apply fertilizer now when the rain comes, but maybe not to apply in a very heavy amount. You know, maybe somewhere between 20 to 25 units of nitrogen per acre would be sufficient, you know, given the fact that a lot of fertilizer we recently would have been used up. So that would be our main recommendation. And I suppose it's just to remind people as well that we are coming into the time of the year where the last date for spreading fertilizer is actually the 14th of September. So, you know, for those farms that haven't spread fertilizer recently or have been spreading fertilizer recently, you know, maybe, you know, to go and blanket spread the farm, well, I really would encourage them maybe just not to apply a, a, a lot in one go. And around that 20 units per acre is enough. And also as well, like talking to my own clients and my own my own dairy farms around around the, the the North Cork area as well. A lot of them have found that where they have spread fertilizer with K in it, that they've actually got a very good response to it, particularly during dry weather. And we kinda of know from work that K is actually good in terms of water movement in the plant. So that might be another particular thing that farmers could do is if they're applying the last length for the fertilizer now, if they have some fertilizer with key in it, it would be a good time to apply. It might help the grass that's coming out in kind of a dry, a dry spell. And also, look, we'll go beyond the 14th of September, and that's the last day for spreading chemicals, nitrogen, and pea. But also, you know, farmers can make, after this date, then farmers can make use of, you know, dirty water or slurry from, um, from open tanks or closed tanks or from collecting yards as well. So, this can be used in as well to, to boost grass growth after the fertilizer close date. Any advice for farmers vis-a-vis 
feeding a lot of silage if that's the way they're caught. With all these things, acting early and assessing your situation early, it always gives you more options. So I suppose, you know, with, with that in mind and the fact that, you know, there has been a level of silage being fed, you know, to more extent on some farms than others maybe. But for every farm, I think it is important that they would assess, maybe look in the yard and see what side of stock they actually have in the yard now. And that might be a case of literally counting up the number of bales that are in the yard. You can also measure your silage pits and assess, you know, roughly speaking, how many tons of silage you have in each silage pit. And also, as well, for some farms, they may have some ground that has yet to be cut. So really, literally, just to sit down and look at what silage is in the yard now and maybe what potentially might be cut as a third cut and have an idea of what silage they have at hand now. And then, you know, that's one side, that's the amount of silage that you have, but then also then to sit down and look at, you know, what stock numbers will be there for the winter. And by doing these two things, like they can also just talk to their local advisor and ask a local advisor to do a fodder budget for them. And like that will allow them then to identify how much silage they have, how much they'll actually need for the winter based on their stock numbers. And also, I suppose, what's kind of quite pertinent, you know, it may be a bit different this year is that particularly on some of the higher stocked farms that have little grass at the moment, you know, there, there will be a lot of silage fed between here and, say, the 1st of November and into the winter. So I suppose they have to take into account that, you know, there will be a nice bit of silage used between now and actually, and actually before they actually house the cows full-time um, for the winter. So, you know, I think it's pertinent that they do that. Um, doing it early will give you options. And then, you know, I think, like, doing that then, like, you know, um, will allow the baby to assess, you know, if they need to sort extra feed, you know, and then maybe they can fill the gap by maybe purchasing silage or looking at maybe purchasing some straw for, for winter diets for dry cows. And also, then, by doing that, it might just tell them, like, you know, in terms of what stock would they be able to actually keep for the winter as well? And I suppose in terms of assessing stock numbers as well, um, one important point on that is that if they do identify that they have a deficit of silage or a bit short of silage for the winter, moving some non-essential stock in the earlier in the autumn would have a much higher impact on their amount of silage in the yard as opposed to waiting till January or February. You know, farmers... They can act early if they act earlier now and give them more options, and that would be having putting a plan in place now to make sure that they have kind of enough enough winter feed, really. So, thank you very much indeed, Mr. William Birchall, Chagask and Dairy Gould Joint Program Facilitator, Chagask Moor Park for Moy in County Cork. William, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Thanks, Mr. Pat McCormack. I seem to say Irish Creamery Milk Supplier Association National President. Pat, welcome to the programme. The main problems are facing your members. We have the environmental aspirations and I'm only just on my way down from that Ethan Lem Group meeting today. Uh, you know, the 25% target is a huge issue for the industry, um, the agricultural sector as a whole. And uh, certainly we need common sense for a day to allow for commercial farming to continue in a format somewhat like what we know today. Obviously, grass growth, you know, back to a very practical issue, grass growth and the drought, we're hoping for rain this weekend, and certainly it'll be better late than ever, uh, but it has been hugely challenging, I know, right across Cork, 
up along through the Midlands, over into the southeast. Uh, there's a significant amount of farmers using some of their winter forage, and that's a concern. And we as an association will be working with people to make sure that they have a calculated approach to how much forage they have for the winter ahead uh, and, you know, helping them to, to source it uh, in other situations. Uh, it's very, very early in the year for that to be happening, but it has been unprecedentedly uh, dry month of August and it has created drought conditions around the country. Uh, equally, you know, I suppose from an energy perspective, we're very, very closely monitoring uh, any notion of a proposed tariff uh, during peak energy usage. And, uh, you know, I suppose in particular when you see 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning, a significant amount of milk done by dairy farmers at that time. And we'd be opposing that, you know, we'd be saying that the government needs to do more uh, on micro-renewables and in particular solar panels uh, that could deliver uh, significant amounts of energy, you know, be it with batteries, etc., uh, to be used at peak times on farms because obviously they are critical uh, in the overall usage of energy and, you know, the, the pressure that the national grid is under uh, can't be underestimated, but we can be part of the solution rather than being penalised. 5pm to 7pm at the peak in milking time, 5pm to 7pm. Uh, that's right, you know, hitting peak peak time there for, for farm families and the vulnerability of the grid in particular, I suppose, when you see uh, where gas has gone in, in recent times and the availability of it uh, and all the challenges that come associated, I suppose, ultimately with the war in Ukraine, as well as our, 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 our challenge to meet our environmental aspirations, you know, and we feel that, you know, in particular in the upcoming budget, uh, that something needs to be done on micro-renewables uh, and done at farm level, and in particular, we feel that the infrastructure is out there uh, in the form of animal housing uh, to hold these pieces of equipment that can wonderfully turn daylight and sunshine uh, into effective and utilised energy, uh, you know, and to benefit farm families and to the very, very little impact on the visual appearance of our country. If farmers have a solar panels installed on their roofs or sheds, well, that won't count towards reducing or achieving the 25% emission cut. That's something that has to be compensated for in the inventory. Um, you know, it's unsustainable that we would take significant measures to reduce our, our imprint at farm level, and that at the same time it wouldn't come to the, to the, national, to the national inventory, it wouldn't be benefit to agriculture, that should go to energy. We need to get that benefit incorporated in our on-farm plan as we move forward and it, there needs to be the, the you know whether that is that you can hold cow numbers or that you if you want to go up one or two or five cows that you can uh, because you're making a contribution to another sector the last thing we want to see is significant investment on-farm and uh, the energy or indeed the transport sector benefiting and agriculture staying static uh, you know it needs to be it needs to reflect what's going on inside the farm gate from uh, an energy usage perspective. The solution there to not having power cuts during peak uh, milking hours to have uh, some support for on-farm energy storage, that's something the MREF uh, idea, the Micro-Renewable Energy Federation, they're calling on the government to support on-farm energy storage and also air say that weak winds would not lead to winter blackouts, but the whole you know, idea of securing power during milking, that must be something that you really want the government and the policymakers to come. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. solutions to very soon. Look, it's usually concerning for any farmer, you know, there's huge disruption when, when, when the electricity isn't available, uh, when they head for the milking parlor at cow time. Um, you know, we need to... Solar panels can, can play a significant part in, in fulfilling that extra de- and additional demand, uh, you know, anywhere between 20 and maybe 35%, depending on the time of the year, and cannot be underestimated. And obviously, is isn't dependent on, on wind energy to stimulate us. Uh, it's purely light. So, you know, we feel even for those farmers that would have their own or indeed have a wind turbine, um, that solar panels can play a complementary role. Uh, and at farm level, can, you know, be the difference between having a viable farm potentially and not. And we've seen that around Europe in the last number of decades, in, I suppose in particular in this decade, uh, you know, where there has been an embracement of solar energy. Uh, you know, they have the digester under the cows, they have the cows and they have the solar panels. Uh, and very often, depending on milk price, it could be one third, one third, and one third as regards income. Uh, you know, I suppose we need to they need to start the tariff and pay a meaningful tariff on, on energy that's exported. But equally, they need to come up with, if they're not in a position to provide a grid that's fully functional and fully supportive of our industry, they need to support and initiate uh, batteries that will deliver uh, at peak times. And the liquid milk supply situation, the sale of Arabon to Orivo, I know your members who are in the liquid milk production system, they say that some people are considering stopping because they just can't make it pay. And it's a huge product for people who want to have a normal, inverted commas, normal milk in their coffee in the winter. You know, I suppose the first issue is, is the power of the retailer. Uh, you know, 95% of the milk is all five different uh, outlets, and that gives those five outlets huge power. Um, but it's a sign of the times are honoring in the liquid milk industry uh, because of the lack of margin and because of price squeeze. But, you know, equally it's usually concerns for those farmers who would have it built into their business as a significant part, albeit they're going to get a number of years to tra- for transition uh, by supplying their milk being collected, I suppose, and supplied into the uh, Arivo plants uh, for processing. But, you know, it's a sign of what the power of the retailer can do where it, it shuts down a section of our industry 
be it at processor level and a prime, ultimately a primary producer level. So, you know, there is a potential that in the years ahead, you may be drinking coffee in the off-peak period, and it may not be Irish milk that's available to, to, to put in that coffee or tea indeed. Additional TB testing costs, is that a lost cause, or are farmers still maintaining they just can't afford to pay any more additional TB test costs? TB industry, and it's gone on probably 50, 60 years, and I call it an industry, and I don't do that lightly. Uh, farm families have suffered significant financial hardship as well as, as mental strain um, with outbreaks of TB. Um, it's in all our interest that TB is eradicated as soon as possible, but we don't believe that the current proposals are going to deliver that. Uh, you know, a significant uh, amount of spread of TB comes from the wildlife, and until the, the wildlife issue is, is grasped and, and dealt with in tandem with the bovine issue, uh, it's going to be very, very challenging, and we see over the last number of years, unfortunately, fluctuations in TB outbreak numbers, uh, and in, in cases, the numbers rising and rising significantly, and very often farmers say to me it's near a forest or it's near a, a new motorway or whatever the case may be, and wildlife may have moved, infected wildlife. Um, but obviously, you know, the new measures would be very much focused on animals over 35, 36 months of age. Um, you know, so a lot of animals won't be affected, but some farmers and their animals will be significantly affected. And, you know, farmers have invested hugely, and that can't be underestimated. And we need to see the government come up uh, with, with, fun, with a funding and, to be honest, with a policy that farmers can believe in for the eradication of TB. The idea that if you blanket, inoculate, if you vaccinate badgers, enough badgers, well, then you'll curtail or eliminate uh, TB, the bovine TB spread. Depend on which part of the country you're in, deer can be a significant issue. I know there was testing done on deer in the Wicklow Mountains there two or three years ago, maybe it was pre-COVID at this stage, and, uh, you know, there was 16% of the deer infected uh, as a result of the tests. And, you know, it's estimated that at that stage there was 200,000 deer in the, in the hills. We're talking about 32,000 infected animals roaming the hills. Uh, so that's a huge concern. It's not just badger uh, inoculation. Um, it's the entire wildlife needs to be, um, you know, incorporated in an eradication program. Regarding the personal insolvency option, asking farmers to consider the personal insolvency option, these PIAs. Any comment on that at your level, Pat? 2022, be it beef and dairy, has been a, quite a reasonable year from a price perspective. But there are farmers out there who have a backlog of this or maybe a, an old burden of debt that's, that's, that's making it very difficult for them to continue to farm and the PIAs and, 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 and the Insolvency Acts that they have delivered um, by the personal insolvency practitioners have afforded farmers an opportunity to stay in the family home, to walk the family land, and to walk their way out of out of the dilemma. Uh, it has given them time, and uh, certainly we would say, you know, that if anyone has issues from an insolvency perspective, they should contact our, our head office in John Feely House in the old Dublin Road, Limerick, uh, you know, to get the best possible advice uh, and also to be put in contact with a personal insolvency practitioner who has delivered, on, uh, must be said, on behalf of farm families. Gary Digney has delivered on behalf of farm families. We always welcome news that the minister or a big team or a task force has gone abroad, in this case to Asia, Japan and those big potential markets to push our produce, beef or other Irish uh, produce and uh, the farmers' income standing still are going backwards. 
Yeah, that's the critical issue. I mean, we saw in particular, I suppose, with the organics there in recent weeks, uh, uh, trade admission to Germany, and, you know, the, the mis- message coming home was that they'd take an unlimited quantity of stock um, and product. But the issue, I suppose, is uh, will it be at a viable price? And that's what has to be critical. We've seen costs for the primary producer across dairy and beef and, indeed, any other sector increase substantially in the last two to three years. Prior to 18 months ago, there was price stag- food price stagnation from a primary producer perspective where the kg of beef and the litre of milk was making somewhere around where it was making 25 years ago. That's no longer good enough and with the environmental aspirations that are out there and the various constraints that potentially nitrates could bring, um, we need to see a significant move uh, where the prices we receive today become the norm rather than the the, 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 the unusual and uh, you know we, we need to see that delivered on a continuous basis and, and markets from now on need to be talking about delivering whether it's 50 cents a litre or in excess of 5 euro a kg as a base price um, they need to be delivering it and need to be delivering it on a continuous basis. Speaking to Mr Pat McCormick, ICMSA National President is there any particular issue which you feel is of such importance we ought to mention it? Obviously I suppose the cost associated with process of milk we've seen that increase um, you know, it's absolutely imperative that when the budget comes about and we're doing our pre-budget uh, lobby and, uh, you know, it's imperative that the government put their, their, their money where their mouth is. You know, we have a 25% desk out there for the sector. Uh, we need to be given tools and incentives uh, on budget day to, to be in a position to deliver that because in the very vast majority of cases, we're, we're very vulnerable. We're primary producers or sole traders uh, and we've become price takers and you know, that all has to change. Uh, we need to promote, incentivise and support the family farm structure so that we can have the full coordinate of stability, environmental, social and above all, from my perspective, economic sustainability as we move forward uh, to the spring of 2023. The event recently at Johnstown Castle where Chagas were trying to show how this very ambitious target of 25% reduction in admissions for agriculture, this could be achieved step by step without savagely slashing the national herd numbers. But did you get any feedback from the Johnstown Castle event recently? Sustainability and profitability in farming going forward? Yeah, look, uh, I suppose, you know, farmers, and I was there myself, uh, farmers have been, and there was a, a composition, I suppose, the day before on signpost farmers, and obviously it's not just confined to Johnstown Castle, you've Salah Big and you've your own kind of Kilty, uh, where there's a lot of research work being done on clover and, and multi-species forest. Uh, but it's very, very necessary that it comes out there uh, through the signpost program uh, in a practical way at farm level, uh, where the, the delivery um, of transition uh, can happen, both from an environmental aspiration and also from an economic sustainability perspective. And, you know, whether it is the West Corks or the Airy Gold or, or Kerry or, or any of the other co-ops around the country, who, and indeed meat processors who have uh, signpost farms, those farms need to be held out there, you know, and fully accountable and fully traceable so that when people go in uh, to an open day, they can see a farm family uh, manage the transition period and stay sustainable from all aspects. Thank you very much indeed for your valuable time, Mr. Pat McCormack, ICMSA National President. Thank you, Pat, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Dr. Anne Finnegan, Policy Analyst with the Irish Farmers Journal. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. And in a recent article, 27th of August 2022, in the Irish Farmers Journal, 
You wrote an article entitled Major Risk in Selling Farm Carbon Credits. What might some of those risks be, Anne? That's right, John. Well, first of all, just to say we've been contacted by a number of farmers um, over the past month or so who've been approached um, to sell their carbon credits. And, I mean, they are rightly attracted to the offers that have been put before them in the sense that, you know, for some people, it, it's, it, it appears to be a significant financial return. Um, but, but some of those who contacted us said, look, we really don't understand enough about this. Um, and I think that's the first point. It is an area, it's burgeoning, it's new um, for farming and, um, and farmers don't have all of the information. And unfortunately, none of us do in terms of how this market will for- function in the future. Um, and that's posing a major challenge. And I suppose really the thrust of what um, I, I've been cautioning farmers is, you know, it's a little bit early. We don't know enough about it. So I suppose as a starting point, as farming activity builds up the carbon in the soil and farmers build up carbon stocks, they build up ultimately carbon credits, which can be traded and which can be sold in the same way that when um, land is forested over a period of time as that forestry grows, it builds up carbon stocks and that carbon can subsequently be sold on and can be can be traded. Um, there's already a statutory market in existence whereby, you know, large energy providers um, and the likes have to provide for their the emissions that they, they generate. Um, and in Europe, we have the European emissions trading market. And when I looked at that last week, carbon was priced at about €98 a tonne trading on that market. Now, when a farmer is approached to sell their carbon credits, that's what's known as a voluntary market. So it's not a statutory market. It's not regulated. Um, And you've got various, um, I suppose, opportunistic entrepreneurs um, who are out there operating in the the voluntary market. And I heard one person recently liken it to a Wild West uh, in terms of what they had seen in front of them, how the market was operating. So, you know, what it doesn't have, the statutory market works on the basis of, you know, very clear, um, very clear rules around measurement of carbon, reporting of carbon, verification of carbon sources. None of that is standardised um, and there's no regulation within the voluntary market. And in actual fact, in the Irish context, if you were a farmer today um, looking at you know, a proposal like this in front of you, your, your carbon stocks on your farm have not yet been baselined. They haven't been measured. Um, there's no system of reporting that. There's no system of verification. So a farmer doesn't know what their baseline carbon stocks are. They don't know then what they contribute what, what carbon they're contributing or laying down on an annual basis. Um, so they're really operating. If you, you know, if you're approached and you're you're thinking about selling your carbon stocks, you've very little information um, about what is actually down there and what you're contributing to on your own farm. And I suppose that's part of the opportunity for entrepreneurs who are operating in the voluntary market at the moment, because like I said, Carbon is trading on the statutory market at about €98 a tonne, whereas we hear reports of as low as €15 a tonne being being, um, offered to farmers. And that's, I suppose, on the basis that, you know, those people who are buying it, they don't actually know what they're buying um, and what the stocks are. And they're working on the basis that ultimately it'll even out um, over the course of the many enterprises that they engage with and purchase from. But individual farmers do stand to lose, I certainly believe, um, over the long term if they move 
and, and sell carbon credits now before they have a full picture of what's happening on the farm. So at this point, I, I suppose there's, there's two things that are happening um, that, that are of interest here. Firstly, first of all, Chagas have a, a, a big research programme ongoing and anybody who um, attended their open day in Johnstown Castle this week would have heard about it and would have seen some of the trials there where they are measuring carbon stocks um, on different soil types around Ireland. And that has yet to, that research has yet to conclude. And that will provide, I suppose, much greater understanding of, you know, what stocks are there on different um, soil types across the country. So on what the national inventory looks like versus, you know, what the book value um, that would be used by the likes of the IPCC in terms of carbon. Um, and I think the second thing that's of interest is that in Northern Ireland, the government have taken the decision to baseline carbon stocks on all farms. And it's up to farmers to um, engage in that scheme and to participate in the scheme. It is voluntary. But, but that activity gives each individual farm a really strong um, I suppose, understanding of where their carbon stocks are um, at present and then what activities they do, what, what will build, how much they can build on those carbon stocks and ultimately what they might have to trade or to use themselves. Um, and I suppose, the, so, you know, the, there's, the, there's the potential for farmers, I suppose, to understand more about their own farm. That's one issue. But, you know, a farmer who sells their carbon stocks today may find themselves at some point in the future actually needing um, carbon credits to offset against their own um, farm emissions. Now, we're not there yet, um, but there is obviously EU proposals whereby um, the agriculture sector and the land use, land use change and forestry sectors will at some point come together. And at that point, um, you know, today the carbon that's held in soils falls under land use and land use change. And obviously the emissions are accounted for from farming in the agriculture sector. And the plan is that at some point in the future, those two sectors will come together and there will be an offsetting there at farm level. Um, and ultimately, I think from a policy perspective, in order to motivate farmers to take action, at some point they have to be able to offset within their own farming system, um, as opposed to sell carbon credits to other enterprises outside of agriculture. So there may come a time you'll need it on your own farm. There may come a time that your processor um, or the agri-supply chain will need um, carbon credits to offset the carbon that they can't um, displace um, in order to get themselves to net zero. And if you're a member of a co-op and you're supplying a co-op, you know, your co-op may need those carbon credits they may need to buy them off you. They may need to pay for them at some point or surplus credits into the future. But, I mean, it would be, um, I suppose, a, a really a really awful situation if a farmer were to sell carbon credits for €15 Euros a tonne now um, and it's find at some point in the future that they actually have to go out to the market and buy carbon credits to offset carbon on their own farm at a much higher price. It would be a worst-case scenario for a farmer. Um so, I mean, I think, first of all, if you're in the position that you have been approached, I would I would say go and get some independent advice. You know, talk to your accountant, talk to your agricultural advisor, your consultant, your Chagask advisor, um, and get some sound advice before you commit, commit to any transaction here. Um, and I suppose do so uh, in the knowledge that, 
you know, that you're not going to need these down the line. And I think also there's a conversation to, ha- to have with co-ops and processors here as well around what their plans are down the line. Um, and is there is there anything um, coming whereby they might need those carbon credits and be willing to pay for them? Because I think ultimately, if the industry needs them at some point in the future, it's much better um, that they are retained within the industry. If you're approached to sell your carbon credits, you might settle for as low as 15 euro a tonne, as some people have. Then, if you want to stay in farming, and as the situation develops, you may have to pay, we say, 98 euro a tonne or more for those carbon credits to reinstate your carbon credits, which you sold off at a fraction of the amount you'll have to pay if you want to safeguard your own farming operation. And in another article in the journal back on 9th of July, once carbon credits are sold, they're gone. Once they're gone, they're gone. And that was from Dr. Frank Mitteloner, California University. He was pointing out to farmers, make sure and, you know, not sell off your carbon credits for nothing if you intend to stay in farming. And indeed, he said there are two countries in particular where they are addressing the situation. We know now in Ireland, Chagask are working hard to try and work out a policy. But um, this Dr. Frank Middleoner from the USA, he said that in New Zealand and Germany, they are looking very closely at the situation with a view to regulating this so-called voluntary market. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really ultimately what we need here. I think at, at EU level, there's moves afoot um, in that regard, John, um, in terms of trying to standardise that market and bring in standardised measurement, reporting and verification. So the EU have announced um, their plans in that regard, but it is still a way off. And it's really that standardisation that will protect farmers um, into the future. Um, and I suppose, ultimately, I think, you know, it, it is, an opportunistic market um, at the moment and I think for all of uh, what what Professor Mitloner has said um, and indeed what we've spoke about in the past week um, it, you know it, it is it is a time when farmers are vulnerable in this regard and I would certainly um, hate to see farmers uh, lose out on a financial reward, reward that may be substantially higher in the future but also um, put a cost on themselves in the future if they actually needed those carbon credits at some point and this just it underlines the you know the challenge of the I suppose the new reality um, that that we're facing in the sector in terms of managing climate and managing environmental risks a lot of this is very new to all of us in the sector to farmers to professionals working in the sector um, and the policies aren't written and the safeguards aren't there um, so in in that context there's a lot of learning um, but also the, I, I think the policy environment really has to develop quite quickly to make sure that the people who need those protections get them. Well, thank you very much indeed for your valuable time. Dr. Anne Finnegan, Policy Analyst, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you very much indeed, Anne, and hopefully your advice there will be taken on board by people. Thank you, John. Good to talk to you. And that's Farm Talk for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to Barry O'Mahony and Mairead Tuig for contributing to the programme again this week. In particular to Mairead Tuig, news reporter with 96.3FM News, for creating the Farm Talk programme podcast for the web. A special thank you to you, of course, the listener, for tuning in. A brief reminder that the major Farm Harvesting Day experience is taking place at the Farm Grenna, Turnoff, Rathduff, 
halfway between Cork City and Mallow. That's 4th of September at the Farm Grana, starting 12 noon. All welcome, all ages. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.